You're listening to WALT. Homegrown. Homemade radio. You're listening to Fisher Family Ghosts. A Six Feet Under companion podcast. I'm Sam Dingman. I'm Adrian Bain. Folks, welcome to the official kickoff <gasps> of season two of our little show, which only has seasons because we're watching a pre-existing show that has seasons. That show is called Six Feet Under. I think that's everything you need to know. You're pretty much up to speed. Don't we have something in our inbox? We do. We have some friends of the program mm-hmm. who have sent us messages. Yeah. I would like to share those messages with you, Adrian. Okay. The first one comes from Tracy, <gasps> who we have heard from Ugh. several times before. Thank love you for Tracy. writing again, Tracy. Yes. We love you very much. And Tracy's first point this week is about whether or not we get the apologies that <gasps> we deserve. You remember we had a conversation this about a, this? Yes. A couple episodes back. Tracy has a, a very provocative statement about this. Okay. She says, um, the exception to the rule of getting the apology is in the case of a suicide. As I was once told, a suicide without a letter is like being hung up on in the middle of a conversation well, and never being spoken to again. And that is what Claire is, so they lead you to believe, ready to deal with, <gasps> leaving her with the much-deserved and needed apology. Oh, my God. Wait, is Tracy foreshadowing something that's about to happen? I think she's talking about... Or is about, that about Gabe's almost? She's talking about the fact that Claire's fear yes. is that Gabe checked out without... <gasps> Finishing the conversation. Yeah. yeah. In the middle of a conversation In with her mid- that was only just beginning. Yeah. Um, oh my God, that's a... Wow. Yeah. I mean, I think... One of the things that is really powerful and provocative about Six Feet Under, and thank you for raising this point, Tracy, totally, is a lot of shows would be about the plight of the person who is either contemplating or ultimately carries out a suicide. Mm. And it's not that Six Feet Under doesn't invest in Gabe's story, but I wouldn't have thought of this before Tracy's email. It's actually very interesting that they choose to focus on what it's like for Claire to be in love with somebody who is in that kind of turmoil. Yeah. In a way, I guess it's, it's similar to what they're doing with Brenda's story with, in connection with Billy that yes, it's about Billy's struggles and Billy's demons, but it's also about what it's like for Brenda to be the person who has to carry the weight. Carry the weight. Oh, that's a great observation. Wow. Tracy has another point that she wants I to make. I she does. Because Tracy is better thorough. at this than we are. She's so thorough. <laughs> um, she wants to talk about the water hose uh, <gasps> yes, that Ruth you. fires at David's paramour. Mm-hmm. She says, I felt like when Ruth sprayed him, she was angry, but not necessarily at David at the situation. It was confirmation of what she suspected was probably true, and her initial reaction was anger. But once she had time to reflect on it, the anger melted away and left her with 
quote, how do I navigate this thing that I'm so naive about without hurting my son? That was beautiful. That is very well put, Tracy. Yep. In my own analysis of that incident, I neglected the option of thinking, perhaps Ruth is a human being who is capable of a range of emotions. Yeah. I was like, no, the way she feels about it when she does the fire hose has to be the same as when she eventually talks to David about it. Well, that's what I think is so great about this show is that they write in the natural contradictions that humans have on a daily basis. You know, like Ruth can be angry in the morning and then come to that feeling of like, how do I navigate this by dinner time? You're absolutely right. So I, I love that. And for some reason, I needed it to be a conversation about... For some reason, I, I, I don't know. Tracy's email just makes me realize that I wasn't willing to extend either Ruth or the writers of the show that kind of grace. For some reason, I thought her emotions had to be this fixed point that couldn't move. Hmm. So, especially when it's I'm... It's a very Taurus tendency. <laughs> ah, well, so stubborn. At least there's an explanation. Yeah, at least there's an explanation. Okay. We also have another email from Leslie. Thank <gasps> you for writing, Leslie. Yes! Great. Thank you for writing, Tracy. Thank you, Tracy. Hope all is well with yes, the hippie. The hippie. Hope you guys are enjoying season two. Leslie writes, when you read my first email on episode 12, you asked if I'd give my opinion about what it's like to view the show through 2021 eyes, yes. as Adrian is also doing. Yes. It's kind of hard to explain, but being 38, Leslie, <laughs> I am also 38. Ooh. Being 38, I remember 2001 fondly and can sort of go back in my mind to how life was back then. The sight of a flip phone makes me chuckle occasionally, but otherwise I just get brought back to that era and mindset. That said, I tend to get extremely anxious whenever Billy is around, even though I've had a crush on Jeremy Sisto since Clueless, <laughs> and I wonder why Brenda lets him in her house all the time. I would be so scared that he would hurt someone or himself. I realize she's the only one he can go to who won't try to institutionalize him or simply drug him up, so that makes it more realistic. But nowadays, with so many more resources for mental health issues out there for people, that's where my 2021 eyes see his see this need that just couldn't be met properly. My oh. heart goes out to both of them. I'm about to watch episode 13, so who knows? Maybe you'll get another email from me in about an hour. <laughs> another cool thing is seeing all the familiar locations in the show. I was born and raised in L.A. and now live in Van Nuys, so I know all about the places they talk about in the show. Maybe I'll try to do a six feet under trip one of these days and send you pictures. Oh, my God. Leslie, please do that. Leslie, we would love that. P.S. I remember in your first episode, Sam saying that he thinks Adrian would relate to Claire the most. That made me think about who I relate to the most. Oh. I had just graduated high school in 2000, so I'm sure I would have said Claire had I watched it back then. Yeah. I even look a bit like her. But now, 20 years later, I can say I relate so much to Ruth. <gasps> I sometimes feel like the old fuddy-duddy mom who secretly just wants to go out and have a crazy night in Las Vegas or something. Oh, my God. Leslie, let's all go to Vegas together. Actually, we're not that far from Vegas right now. <laughs> That's true. This could happen. Email her immediately. We'll meet you there. We'll see you in three hours. Leslie, thank you for this. Leslie, I loved that. This is a really thoughtful email, and there's a lot to respond to in it. Let's start with relating to Ruth. I think that's so fascinating. Because I definitely like... After being a fresh 31-year-old, I... Oh, yes. Everybody wish Adrienne a happy birthday. Ugh. She just turned 31. It was fine. It was another 
quarantine birthday. Yeah. Um, I think that since I have a sister who's 10 years younger than me, literally to the week, Jessica's March 12th. I'm the 16th. My dad's birthday is nine months before, but I don't like thinking about that. Um, I definitely, I feel like I probably relate to Brenda the most when it comes to age relation, like Brent, somewhere between like Brenda and David. But when I'm with Jessica, I feel way more like Ruth and she's very much like Claire. And I just, I don't know. There's an, there's a, I don't think I felt that when I was in my early twenties and she was like 10 cause she was a child, but I don't know. I think that's really interesting. I think I didn't want to relate to Brenda because she's like a very complicated woman and I'm a very complicated woman, but I just hope that I don't treat people the same way that she kind of initially treats people. I just feel like, I hope that I've like actually gone through my own shit a little bit. I would like to think that I've worked out some of this stuff and I've also been very fortunate to not have any serious trauma. Who do you relate most to? I feel weird saying this because it almost sounds self-aggrandizing, but watching the show this time, I think the person I relate most to is Keith. <sighs> because Keith has such a clear sense yeah. of what he wants. Yeah. And and who he is. Who he is. I would like that's why I guess it feels a little self-aggrandizing. I would like to think I do have a clear sense of who I am. Maybe that's why I'm always like, Keith, <laughs> come over here. But more than the sense of of who he is, I do feel like when I was when I was watching this the first time, I'm the exact same age as Leslie, and so I was in my early twenties. I was a lost soul, just recently hatched from the college egg, <laughs> and had a bunch of vague ideas about wanting to have a creative life and fall in love and believe in the power of writing and poetry to make the world a better place. But I was also a host at a hotel restaurant and didn't know how any of those pieces were supposed to fit together and had no plan for how to do that. Mm. And so I think that's why Nate was maybe a little bit more resonant to me at that time. And now I feel like there's plenty more that I would like to do with my life, but I feel like I know which lane I'm driving in and I really like the car that I'm in to make a sloppy metaphor. Yeah, no, that was great. And that feels very Keith-like to me. Yeah. And I also feel like... Keith is like, I have most of the pieces together. Yeah. And I feel very fortunate that unlike Keith, the person that I'm in love with is also very self-possessed and understands herself in a very deep way and is in tune with her dreams and plans for who she wants to be. She sounds fascinating. She's great. I'll introduce you sometime. Oh, okay, cool. But I do feel with some non-romantic relationships in my life, some friends that I find myself playing a Keith-like role sometimes, which is Ooh, yeah. you're better than this. Yeah, and totally I, are. I can't keep being the one who yeah. has to, f feels like I, I'm, I'm supposed to Keith, remind you of that. Keith is the one who has like a lot of hard talks with people and is a little bit like buck up and get your shit together. But in like a really 
I don't know. I don't know. It, you, I think you both do it in like a pretty kind way. Like you're not mean about it, you know? Thank you. I, I would also say that. I think Keith is really stern. I don't think you're stern. That's really interesting. I think that also the reason that like Keith is not tortured. I think one of the reasons I was hesitant to identify with any one person is because they're all still kind of tortured with their demons. And I think that Keith is the only one that's really come to terms with them and has invited them into the room and he's not scared of them anymore. Yes, yes. And I feel like you and I, not to like, like we work on our demons every day and we're not afraid of them in the way that like Brenda still has a lot of growth to do. And Ruth still has a lot of figuring out as to who she is. And I feel like I'm not where I want to be career wise, but I have a very deep sense as to like who I am. There's never a sense with Keith that he's hiding from himself. Exactly. And I know that it's been a very hard road for you and for me and to, to reach a place where it doesn't feel like we're hiding from ourselves, but that is a totally. And that doesn't deny the existence of demons but it's different to live in community with them than it is to hide from them all the time. Totally. Leslie, thank you for this email. Oh my God, yes. This is really interesting stuff to think about. And we're about to have a lot more interesting stuff to think I about. I know. When we begin. Season two. Let's do it. cosmic mystery right here right in front of you can't say your old man ever took you anyplace interesting so let's start with who dies and how does that set the tone well i had a thought right uh towards the end the last thing we see is rebecca the actress dying in Mm -hmm. the bathroom stall and then we cut immediately to nate and brenda having sex yep so we go immediately from death to sex. And Nate, of course, is in a moment where he's really cherishing his life. Yeah. And then towards the end of the episode, we see a manifestation of death have sex with the manifestation of life. Oh! And Nathaniel Sr. tells us that this is the game. He says to, he keeps saying to Nate, you're in the game now, buddy boy. Yeah. Nobody understands this. This is the mystery, the yeah. connection between these things. Yeah. So I think it has something to do with that. <laughs> well, starting with like the this Rebecca girl, she wiles out and she's reckless and kind of emotionally all over the place. She seems very desperate as a person mm-hmm. and she, yeah, she tips over. And I feel like that was kind of a repeating theme where Brenda and her depression kind of while out and Brenda's Nate, using drugs heavily in this episode just like Rebecca's. Well, she smokes a lot of cigarettes. I don't know if she does drugs, but like I think it's weed. Oh, she's smoking weed. Yeah, so she's smoking, smoking that weed. Tobacco. As the kids say. I think she's smoking that jazz lettuce. Mhm. Mm-hmm. I think I just mixed two. No, I love jazz lettuce. <laughs> that's right, the let's only go thing with I'm, jazz lettuce. I think that's 
I'm going to call it from now on. That'll be our T-shirt. Brenda smokes jazz lettuce. <laughs> we'll ah, sell it for fifteen dollars. You clearly listen to Fisher Family Ghosts. Exactly. Exactly. Um, okay. So right. So she smokes a lot of weed. Nate accidentally gets high. I'm wondering if anybody else like. Gabe gets high when he skips out of class. Gabe gets high. But there's something about the way that both Nate and Brenda, we see them, like, go through the entire roller coaster of emotions that, like, getting high brings you in the way that we also saw Rebecca. And I feel like the party itself, the little dinner party, was kind of wildin' out and was, like, awkward in the way that Rebecca was kind of awkward and was like, I don't know how I fit in here. I really want success. I think it, there's some Ruth in that where it's like, I really want this to be successful. I really want this to, like, take off. But for whatever reason, it ends up being really awkward instead and, like, not satisfying. Well, I think in the beginning but of... I think that that and, like, sex were two really consistent themes in this one. In the beginning of this episode, you and I were talking about Keith's self-awareness. Yeah. And I feel like in this episode, something that we were seeing is the... Fisher family characters and Gabe kind of catching up with that level of awareness. There's this sense that from everybody that they're seeing things a little bit more clearly. Ruth is being super blunt about her sex life and wanting to ask all of her kids about theirs. I know. And Claire is being really blunt with Gabe about, I worry about you, Yeah, you know, I, I, and I have good reason to. And then she yells at the actors in the funeral home after the funeral at the end, like, you guys are ri- like ridiculous, terrible people. I know, wait, can we talk about that for a second? I'm a little like, so they were snorting her, which I'm like, what? Yes. Which I'm like, that is the way that she went. It's almost insulting. Do you know what I mean? I agree very much. I think that is one of those scenes that's right on the line of over-boogieing on the stereotype of how stupid some actors are. Yeah. That they would think, well, this is a way of integrating her back into us. Right. I think, I don't know, it strains credulity for me to imagine that actors would do that, but could also see it. Yeah, I could see some people doing it. You know? Maybe not an actor thing, but definitely people who don't have a lot of brain cells left. Yeah. Who are used to snorting. Ugh. And, so getting back to people with who are developing awareness, David is very upfront with Keith yep. about, it's hard for me to see you and Eddie yeah. together. Um, and Keith is really upfront with David. Keith is really upfront with David, although Keith, for Keith, that's one person where that's like on brand. <laughs> I know, but I think that Keith was a little bit more stern because David needed to hear it. You he know, did. he did. He was David was thinking he could maybe have it both ways. Yeah. Um, Nate is really direct with the doctor. Like, oh, yeah. tell me whether or not I have something to worry about here. Yeah. And Brenda's super upfront with the her client. With her client. Yes, that's what that's what I was thinking of. Yeah. So I think there's something about everybody in this episode is kind of realizing that they're they're in they're on a spectrum somewhere between living and dying. And even if that's not the name that they would give it, but everybody is kind of stepping into this awareness of their 
mortality and kind of where they're at in this one. Yeah. Or like, how is their life going? Yeah. And to me, I think that connects back to the the woman who dies at the beginning, Rebecca, because she is trying to imbue this trashy horror movie that she's in with significance. She says like, well, it's really about our philosophies about the philosophical fear of death or something, which is actually what everybody else in the episode is dealing with. And then throughout the episode, we see people in the theater watching the movie, just laughing at this incredibly callous portrayal of her death. Yeah. Ugh. And I had a thought actually, while we were watching it, like the one scene that I couldn't figure out why it was there is when Gabe and Claire go to the movie and that's the movie they go see. Mm -hmm. But then I thought so much of this episode is about Gabe trying to not be so obsessed with his brother's death all the time. Yeah. And I think it's interesting when he first meets up with Claire on that lifeguard stand, she says, where were you? And he says he skipped class and the class he skipped was history. Like, history is what he was running away from. Oh, that's good. And then he he really tries to reassure her and say, you don't have to worry about me. I'm totally. fine. He tries to make fun of the embalming fluid when she shows him the embalming room. But then he kind of gets overcome with, oh, this is where my brother was. Yeah. They go to the movie. He tries, He's laughing at it. He's like, see, this is fine. But then they go to the funeral and he tries to make fun of the funeral and it's too, it's too overwhelming real. for yeah. him. He can't escape it. Yeah. And then he kind of has a little freak out. Yeah. Yeah. I think he's a teenager and he's going through trauma and like Claire, I still think they're kind of at two different points. And Claire, in a very teenage way, is being a little overreactive to protecting Gabe and is almost, if anything, taking a little leaf out of Ruth's book because Ruth is so used to protecting her kids. She's not used to connecting with them, which is what she's so desperately trying to do. So desperately. So I think that Claire knows, maybe knows more to protect than connect. And maybe just Gabe is like, I just kind of need us to like hang out and you not to like freak out about me all the time. Which I think is, I love that you made that point because to me, there's a really interesting parallel happening in this episode with what's going on with Claire and Gabe and what's going on with Nate and Brenda, Mm. which is that Brenda's clearly going through something too. Yep. And Nate and keeps asking Nate for space and Nate reluctantly agrees. He's like, I know I can't fix this. Yep. I need to give you the space that you're, you're looking for. And Brenda, if nothing else, She's giving Nate a lot of mixed signals and she's being very emotionally stiff-arming to him. Totally. But she's also, it seems like, doing her best to confront whatever's going on. She, I mean, I know she's distancing a little bit by smoking that jazz lettuce. <laughs> but she's, she feels angry at the client, so she says something to the client. She feels freaked out about the books and the clothes and stuff in her house, so she rips them out of the closet and she takes things off the shelf. And she feels physically frustrated, so she, like, thrashes it out. Yeah. It's interesting to me to see, to to line her and Gabe up next to each other in this episode as they're both, they both have clearly have something in them that needs to come out. And one of them has... And they both have... Slightly better coping mechanisms for it. Right, and both of their trauma kind of originates with their brothers. Oof. Younger brothers. Adrian Bain. 
Adrian <laughs> Bain. <laughs> Nailing it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And because I was thinking about that, I was like, okay, Brenda is definitely depressed. Nate was very much there for Brenda when she was like going through stuff with Billy. And Nate was like 110% there. Brenda's, I think they're both kind of going through something right now because Nate is handling, grappling with his mortality. Brenda is depressed and trying to figure out like, what does her life mean post this accident, post this revelation with Billy? So I feel like they're actually both in a spot because part of me is like, Brenda needs you right now and he's been there for you. But I think both of their boats have holes in them. And I think it is really good that, like, she is kind of taking space. And at the end of the day, like, it doesn't matter how great your partner is. Like, you have to be able to solve those problems on your own. Yes. I agree with you so much, Adrian. I expect you to fix all my problems. But for the sake of this show. No, I, th- I think that the idea here is for us to observe very wise things in the show and then learn nothing from those observations. That's Yeah, that's why we're doing that, right? Great. Great. No, I'm so glad you said that because... I think that's a wavelength that is absolutely happening in the show in this episode that I completely missed the first time around. Totally. I think when I watched this the first time, it's I don't remember this exactly, but it's very likely that I felt like, oh, Brenda, go to Nate. Totally. He's dealing with his mortality mm. and he's suffering so much. He needs you to fill that hole. And what the show is actually saying and what Nate is actually realizing is... Brenda cannot fix this for you. The doctor cannot fix this for you. No matter how much you want to wring his neck and get an answer out of him, you have to find this within yourself. You're in the game. You have to play the game. Someone can't play the game for you. It's so profound in a way that I I couldn't, I I just, I don't even know if I'm ready to receive that (laughs) at 38. Me and Leslie rocking it out at 38. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I just think that's so wise. Yeah. And it's very hard to wrestle with it. Like, oh, totally. You are ultimately alone with this. Yeah. And for as messed up as Nate and Brenda can be to each other, I think they are both picking up on the fact that the other one needs to be alone with whatever yeah. is going on right now. But at this moment, nobody knows about Nate, with the exception of Nate and his doctors, right? True. Yeah. True. Um, And just to say really quickly before we move too far away from it to go back to Mm -hmm. the trend in this episode of people being really blunt with each other and talking about their needs. What does Ruth say in the early going? The foundation of intimacy is truth. Yeah. I know. I was like, she's just learning this. (laughs) But I think that is that is a real kind of learns that on a different time. Unfortunately, you know. And that is, as we have been talking about, that is Ruth's journey, is like away yeah. from protection to connection. Yeah. And the way that you connect, even when it's uncomfortable, is to speak your truth. Totally. No, yeah. Also, Brenda is kind of blunt with Nate because she does say on the beach, like, you can't fix this. Also, yeah. it was interesting that, this is just a little tangent, but it's interesting that this show is set in Los Angeles and this is the first time that we've seen the beach. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think I think you're right. And we see it twice in this episode. And we see it twice in this episode. Actually, if we're talking about parallel journeys for Claire and Gabe and Nate and Brenda. Yo! We see Claire and Gabe at the beach. 
we see Nate and Brenda at the beach. That's good. Speaking of beach, let's talk about sex. <laughs> sex is really prevalent in this episode. Mm -hmm. Also talking about sex and sex fails. Like, it's not all good sex in this episode. So, like, starting with Nate and Brenda having sex and Brenda's like, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. And I think that's really interesting because their relationship was kind of founded on that, like, really insane sexual connection that they have. So I thought that was really interesting. And then obviously the parallel with life and death fucking each other, which I loved. And David and his date have a conversation about... Well, David gets a doctor's note saying that he has gonorrhea right. because he had unprotected sex. So that's negative sex. And then, right, the date says, I don't think we have a connection. Which, honestly... This that's is, another example of someone being blunt. That's another example. Exactly. No, you're totally right. I do just want to say, in my personal philosophy, I have learned that, like, first dates are incredibly misleading. I've had amazing first dates that never went anywhere. And then I've had, like, very delightful, pleasant six dates where I talk to somebody for six hours and then I end up in a ranch in Arizona with them, like... 14 months later. Who, so who, who I'll introduce one? him to you sometime. Great. I think you'll get along with him. Okay, cool. Um, so <laughs> first dates are totally misleading and like are not a predicament of what that relationship is going to be like if both people are, are feeling a connection or um, in a place to commit. So, okay, so that's sex. And then Ruth is so blunt about sex and is mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. are my children, do my children have a healthy sex life? And God, I like kind of, I'm kind of falling in love with Ruth on how she's so awkwardly grasping at connection with her kids. I love her when kids she... are so used to being like, mom, we don't talk about this, you yeah. know? But it seems like they don't really talk about it amongst themselves either. I think that sex is the one area that I talk to my sisters about the least, but I do like checking up and being like, it's, it's good, right? You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, that seems. That's always a weird area for siblings to talk about, but. Yeah. But even that, even what you do with your sisters is more than what the Fisher siblings have historically done. Oh, definitively. Done. I mean, there's moments where Jessica just, like, tells me stuff, and I'm like, okay, cool, you know? Well, wouldn't but you rather I love she that. I err love on the it. side of too much information than not than oh, no, no information? absolutely. And if she hears this, she'll be like, okay, never say that to Adrian ever again, because she True. takes away all of my joy. <laughs> That's how she shows love. I know. <laughs> it's so strange. So, I agree. I mean, one of the more heartbreaking scenes in this episode that I think is kind of fleeting but really telling is when Ruth tries to tell Claire about her crush on Jane Fonda. I know. Which is, it's awkward and it's ham-fisted and <laughs> she could have maybe picked a different moment, but what a lovely thing for her to let her daughter in on. I loved it. In I case Claire had been dealing with any feelings of same-sex attraction that she didn't understand, that would have been a moment. I mean, if if Ruth had done that for David when he was a little boy, who knows, right? Totally. I guess she's kind of like, I guess I could make up for lost time now with Claire. Yeah. But I don't know, Claire's a teenager, and just like, you can't put... I think teenagers are like cats. Like, 
when you want to give them affection, they're like, fuck off, leave me alone. I'm going to go mm-hmm. do my own thing. Mm-hmm. Then when you leave them alone, they like come crawling. Yeah. No, it's true. Mm. It's true. Um, let's go back, speaking of Claire, to Claire and Gabe for a second. What yep. did you make of the fact that in the last scene where Gabe, and actually speaking of cats, Gabe says to Claire, I'm not your pet. I'm not your pet. Um, and they have, you know, and he storms out. They're both wearing green t-shirts. I know, I noticed that. What do we What do we make of that? I don't know. Green is a color of peace in Morocco. That's all I really have to, like, associate with that. Okay. I don't know. I think that's really interesting because, like, I don't know if Gabe is used to being mothered because his mom has definitely checked out from what we've seen. And he obviously doesn't have, like, a consistent father role. So I don't... I think he's so used to taking care of himself that... And not being taken care of. And not being taken care of by others that he's really wigged out by Claire. And I think it it is... It, it does seem a little clingy. I love Claire. I was that way, too. Where I'm like, I just want to be hanging out and hanging out with you forever, you know? <laughs> well, and... So, but also, like, I think she does have a right to worry, but I just don't think he's, like, used to other people worrying about him. But then he also does say to her... I'm okay as long as I have you. I know. I was like, codependency. That's incredibly... Yeah, it's very heavy. Actually, no, you're so Heavy right. trip to lay on somebody. Yeah, totally. But I also think it's what Claire wants a little so bit. That's, that's the question I was just about to ask you as a follow-up to what you said is, do you think Claire is in love with Gabe or do you think Claire is in love with caring for Gabe? <gasps> that's a great question. I think that she does, I think they're kind of tangled together. I think she does believe that they have a really unique connection and she loves that about him. But then they got together right around the time that he was spinning out Mm -hmm. or right after he was spinning out. And their connection was created as he was healing and she was taking care of him. That's a great question. Because ultimately, like, her taking care of somebody else avoids the fact that she doesn't have to take care of herself and deal with, like, the dramas and weirdness of her family life and her father passing. She's like, I can kind of put it on. Yeah. I think we're answering the green shirt question here, which is I think it is a reflection of the codependence. Ooh. And it is also a reflection of the fact that they are mistaking things that seem like real intimacy with each other for codependence. Because the other thing about the green shirts is that they're slightly different colors. Huh. So it looks almost like they're... Should we be wearing matching outfits? To, no, that... No, no, no. This is a this is an, a parable against wearing the same. Wait, color. we're wearing such different clothing. Yes, that's because we are self sufficient <laughs> individuals, Adrian. Wait, well, what if I want to backtrack? <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Learning all the wrong things. It's yeah. Anyway, I just think I think that is what they're going for with the greens. Is that's interesting. They, they see each other as twin greens. But it's actually a different... But it's actually different shades of green. Ooh, I think that's a lovely way to end it. Thank you, everyone, for listening, as always, to Fisher Family Ghosts. Thank you, Leslie and Tracy, for writing to us. I love it. If you would like to write to us, you can do that at ffg at walt.fm. 
We would love to hear from you. Mm-hmm. As you can see, we are very kind and appreciative to those who write. Yep. Adrian Bain, this is not the only podcast that you make. It's not. And that is something that I think some of the people listening know, but not all of them. So perhaps you can increase the number of people who know. Absolutely. So I have a podcast called Strangers Abroad. It is a narrative travel podcast. I am currently writing about our time in Arizona and doing a road trip and trucking out west. So if you would like to hear a bunch of travel stories, check it out. It's Strangers Abroad. You can follow me on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And... Also, feel free to send me a story about our travel time. I also have another podcast. It's called Family Ghosts. I would love it if you would listen to it. And on a recent episode, I had the great pleasure of featuring a short story by the writer Kimberly King Parsons. It's called Foxes. And it is continuing in what I think is the main thing that we study on Family Ghosts, which is what does it mean for somebody to be physically absent but ever present Mm. beautiful we'll be back with another episode of fisher family ghosts next week thank you for listening thanks guys